0: Chapter Number One. Hope you will be back tonight. Brother Renee Lebo will be speaking to us of God's Word. I hope you'll come, bring your Bible, be here at six o'clock with us for that service. And five o'clock for choir practice. Five thirty for men's prayer. And we'll look forward to a good service together. We'll also observe communion this evening, and that's always a delightful time to obey the Lord in the matter of the ordinance of the church. So please come and bring your Bible along and be back with us for the evening service. Daniel was just sharing me with me as he walked by out of the choir. That the um, the uh, this is commander, the, the gentleman names' husband, Rick Husband. I believe his name is Rick Husband, who was the commander. I believe of this uh, group. Uh, that this man had a great testimony. Uh, even the mayor of the city where he's from and indicated and gave testimony to this man, knowing the Lord. And I believe that he had given testimonies at the Billy Graham Crusades and so forth that this man had told of his faith in Jesus Christ. So uh, my heart is uh, relieved that at least the commander knew Christ and I delight in that. Uh, let me say this to you. This is important, why it's important for you to be so clearly defined in your relationship to Jesus Christ. there be no doubts when you die. You ought not put people like me in a hard place. And I'm selfish in saying that. But the toughest thing a preacher has to do is try to tell and comfort a family when they have no clue where the loved one gone. You stand before a casket and you get up and say the best thing you can and you tiptoe through the roses. You know, you don't want to be unkind, but I am not going to lie. And I say to you, that's a hard place to be put in. And, and if you had to stand where I or any other pastor has to stand in a funeral service, you'd want everybody's brother to declare very clearly, here's where I am, I knew Christ, I trusted Him back there at this certain date, and I've lived for Him all my life. Boy, that's easy. That's easy. In fact, it's almost a joy to get up and tell all about that. To say this person, man, woman, boy or girl, trusted Christ back here, and they've lived for the Lord all their lives. And their family reflects it. What a blessing. And there's a, by the way... By the way, there's a certain sense in which your heart doesn't ache as much. Just since Daniel's told me that about Rick husband, there's been a little bit of a lightning of the Lord about this whole thing to know that he had such a testimony that people knew he knew Christ as Savior. That means he was my brother in Christ. And I rejoice in that this morning. This morning in Romans chapter 1, I call your attention to verses 14 through 17. Romans chapter 1, verses 14 through 17. The Bible says, Paul writes to the church at Rome under the inspiration of God. He said, I am a debtor both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the unwise. So as much as in me is, I am ready to preach the gospel to you that are in Rome. Uh, he says, verse 16, verse 16. Or in Rome also, verse 16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Interesting passage of Scripture and a very important one, one we'll get to in just a moment. Let me make a few opening remarks by way of introduction. The first thing is there are few people in the Bible that I find more interesting or more unique than I do find the man John the Baptist. John the Baptist was a a unique fellow from square one. I mean, when this fellow came up on the radar screen of the early church and early Christianity, uh, people began to ask right away, who in the world is this guy? I mean, this fellow was really a kind of unique, and, and to us today, we might even say weird. I mean, what he ate and how he dressed and what he said. I mean, he spared for nothing. He got up and preached boldly the truth of God's Word, and, and people, in fact, he called the Pharisees, you know, about G- generation of vipers kind of thing, that kind of mindset. I mean, this guy just was unbelievable. But amazing thing, he was God's man. God was using him and did use him. Here's some interesting things about it. Look, if you would, at John chapter number 1. In John chapter number 1, here's what the Bible says. John chapter 1 and verse number 19 concerning John the Baptist. It says, and this is the record of John when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, in essence, who are you? Who art thou? Verse 20, he confessed and denied not, but confessed, I am not the Christ. Verse 21, and they asked him, What then art thou Elijah? He saith unto I am not. Art thou that prophet? And he saith, answered, No. Then said they unto him, Who art thou? That we may give an answer to them that sent us. What sayest thou of thyself? First thing I would say to you, I appreciate the guy's honesty and humility. First off, his humility is reflected when he could have said, Yes, I'm Christ. I'm a Messiah. You need to bow down to me. Or you need to take an offering and give it to me. You ought to to build me a mansion. You ought to do all kinds. He could have sold himself as the Messiah of Israel, but he didn't do that. He said, I am not Christ. I'm not the anointed Messiah. I am not that person. In fact, I tell you what I am. I am the voice crying in the wilderness. I'm just a a conduit to tell you about the real one. I'm just a guy sent ahead of the motorcade. I'm that guy. I'm a voice. That's all I am, I'm nothing more, I'm nothing less. What's interesting, he used this series of these I am's. Notice again something else, when our Lord Jesus Christ came on the scene, he did almost the exact same thing when people said, who in the world is this guy? The Lord Jesus Christ began then to tell people who he was, and he did it in a unique fashion. He used what we call the I am statements, you remember them. For instance, he said in John chapter 6 and verse 48, I am the bread of life. He said in John chapter 8 in verse number 12, Then spake Jesus again unto them, saying, I am the light of the world. In John chapter 8 and verse 23, He said unto them, Ye are from beneath, I am from above. Ye are of this world, I am not of this world. In chapter number 8 verse 58, Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Before Abraham was, I am. And then one more, he says in John chapter 10 in verse number 7, Jesus saith unto them, Verily, verily, or truly, truly, I say unto you, I am the door of the sheep. Let me tell you something, every single one of those I am statements more clearly focused on who the Lord Jesus Christ really was. And if you want an exciting study, you just simply start from the beginning of John and carry all the way through the book of the Gospel of John and let those words, those phrases of the I am statements open up to you who the Lord Jesus Christ was and what he could do for people. I say to you that in this context, our Lord Jesus Christ very openly identified himself. So it's not a surprise that with John the Baptist and the Lord Jesus using the I am phrases, it's no surprise Then when Paul the apostle is going to write to the church at Rome, he uses some I am statements. And those I am statements are to identify and clearly identify who he really was. And in this context, I call your attention, Romans chapter number 1, if you would please, at verse number 14 to begin with. Notice, if I can get back to my place there, Romans chapter 1. Notice if he's, as he says in verse 14, I am debtor. Notice in verse 15, I am ready. Then notice in verse number 16, I am not ashamed. Uh, Those will be the focus of these three verses as we speak about them in these next three Sundays or so But for this day, let me ask you to focus your attention on the first one in verse 14. I am debtor I am Debtor and what he says he's debtor for in verse number 14 is both to the Greeks and to the barbarians both to the wise and to the unwise When people read this they have a whole series of different ideas about what he's talking about being a debtor Let me explain some things first off When I was growing up, in fact, before, actually before I was born, my father owned a gas station, a service station. You know, where you pull in and pump your own gas, wash your own windshield and all that kind of stuff. uh, My dad owned this station in Sparta, Tennessee. He ran this station for several years and and, um, after I was born, I remember things about it, but not a lot. And consequently, the, before my father died a few years ago, I was sitting down under a maple tree out one of those summer vacations we had, and he and I were talking, and Dad alluded to the service station. And he said, you know, I lost that station because of debt. And I said, oh, really? You, you just got over your head? You bought too much stuff on credit? And I said, no, I didn't. They did. And I said, they who? He said, well, my neighbors would come by, and they'd say, I need, you know, $10 worth of gas and need you to change your oil. My vehicle, and he said, uh, I did it. And they'd say, well, now, uh, LD, uh, Lloyd Douglas, my dad's name, can't, I can't pay you this week, but I'll pay you next week. And that's said, okay, that's no problem. And dad had a whole box of uh, little tab packs, you know, you know, where you pull out a guy's name on the top, and had his name written on there, uh, and he'd pull out the tab and look at the first page, and then he'd say, okay, uh, here's how much that is. And he'd put it in there, and then what you'd do is he'd hand it to you, and you'd sign it. And dad did that, and My dad had about two or three boxes of those little credit packs, he said. And my dad kept serving that station, and he did it for several years, and then it came to a point where my father couldn't pay his bills. had a whole box of IOUs, but he couldn't pay his bills. And so one day... People came to him and said, "Mr. Henry, would you sell the station as it is?" And my dad said, "Well, yes, but you have to understand. Here's the credit box, and that's what he referred to it as. Here's the credit box." And he took him in a room and showed him all these little stacks of car, little packs of of uh, tickets that these people owed. And he said, "I haven't collected any of this money." And the man said, "That's all right. I'll just buy the station as is and keep that, and I'll try to collect it." My not, my father, therefore, sold the man the station. And my father got out of the station business, gas station business, because he had too much credit. People, he had given too much credit, had too many people who owed him. Now, I've since thought about that. I said, I'm an heir. Now, if I could get a hold of those little pads, you figure the interest after 40 years or 50 years, I could be a rich fellow, you know. But anyway, the point is, my dad never tried to collect it. It was just, oh, it's debt, and my dad wrote it off and forgot about it. The next guy, I don't know what he did about it, but I do know that that my father left the gas station business because of debt. I also know this, that our nation has a debt. We don't hear a lot about the debt of this nation, national debt as it's called. But I do know this. On January the 28th, which was I believe about last week someday, 2003, our national debt was 6401730507000 592 dollars and 48 cents you notice when i told you what it was i did say was because you see you have to understand the national debt increases on an average of 1.45 billion b billion dollars every day And has done so since November the thirtieth of two thousand and two. That's when it started increasing at a rate of one point four five billion dollars a day. You imagine that? I can't, so I don't worry about it. I don't I can't even think in those numbers. Those numbers are beyond me. That doesn't have anything to do with my life. You wanna talk to me, talk about a dollar ninety nine or a dollar fifty nine or fifty nine or ninety nine. That's my category. Not trillions and billions. But the debt that the nation owes is on the books to be paid. Somebody has to pay it, or somebody has to forgive it. With that in mind, let me ask and encourage you to understand what Paul's talking about here. The debt that he's talking about is just as real as any of the debt that I've talked about, whether it be the national debt of this country, or whether it be the debt that my father was put out of business with. The debt that he talks about is a what I call a life-changing attitude. This debt is a life-changing attitude. If you and I get a grip on what Paul is saying here and what prompted him to say it, I will guarantee you that it will change your heart, your life, your plans, and your purposes for being here. Too many people in this country, and you listen to me, and you listen to me good. Too many people in this country have a creditor attitude. A creditor attitude. A creditor attitude. Not a debtor attitude, a creditor attitude. How many folks have you met who come up and say, I'll tell you what, they owe me, buddy. Uh, I've done this and I've done that and they owe me. No, they don't owe you. Do you think about it? You, by the grace of God, was born in one of the freest countries on the face of the earth and you're talking about somebody owing you? You'll forgive me. But you need to cough that up and forget it. They don't owe you. When you work, you ought to get paid for what you do. But in this country, there's a lot of jobs people are overpaid for, and I've heard people in this very church talk about being overpaid. I'd pay them. Let me do what I do. They say, "Oh, they pay me too much." And what do they pay? Ball players, and I mean millions, and mi- I mean this is the land of the free and the land of quite wealthy folks. And somebody has the audacity to say, "You owe me." You'll forgive me, but that kind of attitude needs to go. You ought not be thinking. You ought not ever entertain a thought of what people owe you. What you ought to think about is what you owe. And let me explain how and why. And I have a Bible basis for that. And I can prove that from the Scriptures conclusively, I believe. Let me take you back to a story. Listen, let me take you back to Acts chapter 9. Acts chapter 9. And look, if you would, please, at verse number 6. Well, begin in verse 3, Acts chapter 9, Acts chapter 9, <clears throat> and look if you would please at verse number 3, Acts chapter 9, verse number 3, Bible says, and as he journeyed he came near Damascus, this is Paul of course, suddenly there shined around about him a light from heaven, and he fell to the earth. And heard a voice saying unto him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? This is Acts 9, 4, verse 5 of Acts 9 says, he said, underline if you would the question, who art thou Lord? The Lord said, I am Jesus whom thou persecutest. It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. Verse number 6, and he trembling and astonished said, underline the question, please, Lord, What wilt thou have me to do? And the Lord said unto him, Arise, go into the city, it shall be told thee what thou must do. I want you to see very clearly in this verse of Scripture, here's the conversion of the man called Saul, who is the Apostle Paul eventually. There's two questions that he asked. The first question is, he asked the Lord, Who art thou? Now listen to me, everybody in this room has to answer that question. If you're here today and you've never trusted the Lord Jesus Christ to save you, you need to answer that as it relates to you. Who is He? He came to be your Savior if you're not saved. Jesus Christ came and died on the cross to pay for our sins. And that's why he died there. That's why he came as a manger, a baby in the manger of Bethlehem. That's why we celebrate Christmas. It is not because we want to have social gatherings. No matter what this world tries to change the context of what Christmas is, Christmas is the birthday of a king, a savior of the world, the Lord Jesus Christ. Christ came to die on the cross to pay our sin debt, a debt that you and I could not pay. There was no way we could. And Christ came to do that. And so Paul the apostle, who in this case is Saul, says to this Lord of heaven, who art thou? In other words, what do you have to do with me? In other words, I came to save you. Saul, you're, you're a sinner. You were born a sinner. And you're going to die a sinner unless you repent and turn to me. And so Paul, in this case, gets that thing squared away. I am Lord. I am Jesus, whom you persecute. But I want you to notice, almost immediately after he gets the answer to that question, Seb, sobbed and settled, he asks him a second question. Saul says to the Lord, what would you have me to do in essence for you okay you're the savior you came to die on the cross for me and i've been persecuting you and your church okay i understand that and i understand who i am and i need to be saved i understand all that now the question is what do you want me to do for you do you see how quickly the thing turned from uh, who in the world are you and what do you have to do in my life and all that selfish centeredness to turning around to saying what can i do for you what can i do for you How can I help you? What cause do you want me to help you out with? Now, my friend, that's not a coincidence. That's exactly the way it's supposed to happen in the life of every person who repents of sin and believes on the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior. You're supposed to leave that selfish kind of attitude over here and start turning around and saying, Lord, what do you want me to do? Lord, what do you want me to do? What is it that in your word you set out very clearly for me to do? Let me tell you what Paul is talking about. Romans chapter 1 is to simply say in Romans 1.14 that I have a moral obligation. That's what this debt is that Paul's speaking about. He has a moral obligation to give the gospel to everybody he meets. By the way, Paul knew he was a trustee, a steward of the gospel. reason he knew that Romans or 1 Corinthians, excuse me, chapter number 9 in verse 17 says this, which we covered a long time ago. 1 Corinthians 9.17, For if I do this thing willingly, I have a reward. But against, if against my will, a dispensation of the gospel is committed unto me. And the word dispensation in that context simply means a stewardship, a trusteeship, a responsibility that is handed down from heaven. And he is saying in this context, I have a responsibility not to be a keeper of the gospel, but to be a giver of the gospel and Paul said I'm obligated and if that's not enough what he said in verse 16 of 1 Corinthians chapter 9 here's what he said in verse 16 for though I preach the gospel I have nothing to glory of for necessity is laid upon me yea woe is me if I preach not or translated if I do not pay this debt I owe that's what he's talking about Paul owed a debt And Paul was saying, necessity is laid upon me that I pay this debt. It's interesting because in our day and age, uh, we do not have the mindset that Paul had. Not only do many people think somebody owes them something and they live their whole life sort of fretting over what they didn't get that they felt they deserved, And yet missing all the time what they got that they should have gotten. I mean, missing what they should have gotten. We who know the Lord, we should have have a place called hell assigned to us but out of the goodness and the mercy of God. We didn't get that. You don't hear anybody going around complaining to God about that, do you? But every time they don't get what they think they deserve, boy, they raise their hearts and their cries to God, and boy, they're ready to do battle. It's about time we turned the tables on that and said, look, I know where I am really a debtor. My real debt is to the people of this world, and the reason is because I have been saved by the grace of God, and I owe that same message that rescued me to everybody else in this world. I say, my friend, this morning, if you've been saved by the grace of God, you are in debt this morning. And you'll never be out of debt to this one as long as you live in this world. You owe a debt. If you have a mother and a father who have never trusted Christ as Savior, you owe a debt. If you have a brother and sister who have never bowed to the feet of the Lord Jesus Christ and trusted Him as Savior, you owe them a debt. And your debt is you need to tell them that Christ came to die for them and He'll save them in a heartbeat if they'll trust Him. You owe them. It's not just a good idea. It's not just something the preacher does. It's not just something the deacons do and it's not something we send 15 missionaries around the world to do. It's a debt. And until we get that mindset, we'll never do the job of reaching people with the gospel of Jesus Christ because we got this idea. If you've got a track in your pocket, give it. If you bump into somebody and knock them down and you help them up, then you tell them about the gospel. You'll forgive me. That's cheap. That's cheap. That's not the way it is at all. We owe a debt. If you owed a debt to the bank, you think you could just go in there occasionally and sometime and on your own will and wishes and lay a little money on the desk and say, Well, take whatever you want and I'll keep the rest for the next trip. And when I get feeling like it, I'll come down here and give you more money. You think so? i got news for you. That's not the way it works. That's not the way debt works. And I'm saying to you, we don't understand what Paul was talking about if we have that kind of attitude about we're sort of nonchalantly sharing the gospel. I'm telling you that Paul said, I owe a debt. I've got to pay this debt. If you uh, have a right attitude toward physical debt, if you owe it, you'll pay it. Now listen, the church of Jesus Christ does not encourage People living above their means. This church has never asked anybody to give in the offerings when they had responsibilities that were so great that to give here was going to cost them elsewhere. Now, there are some preachers who will tell you, you you give it here first. Now, you and God will have to work all that out. I'm just telling you, if you owe something in this world to a bank or to some installment dealership somewhere, whatever, and you think that just because you're going to come and bring the money here, that God will forgive that you'll forgive me but you're crazy if you made a debt you go pay the debt you'll bring greater honor to our Lord by being responsible in paying debt than you will be giving in an offering and I can tell you that because our God will not be debtor to anybody number one he doesn't need money God is a non-needing self-sufficient God he can get along very well without us or our money should we give absolutely can our church survive without it absolutely not but are we supposed to rob paul and pay peter no we're not and i'm saying to you that every christian in the new life baptist church ought to make dead sure that you pay your debts and don't you squeeze on them don't you chimp on them and don't you try to weasel out of them if you made it pay it and paul says i have a debt, and my debt is very simple It is the matter that I have received the Lord Jesus Christ as my Savior, and therefore I am a debtor to go tell everybody else I can about the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, it's interesting because in our time, in our age, we have this idea that the people you owe a debt to are people who've done something for you. If I do something for you, you may say, Pastor Henry, I'm indebted to you. I owe you. You know, my wife this week, bless her heart, I I did something I don't know what I did. It's rare that I do anything, so I don't know what I did. You remember what I did? No, she doesn't even remember what I did, so I did how important what I did was. But she said to me, I owe you. I owe you. You remember saying that? Like, you remember you owe me? <laughs> okay. just want to get that right just so we remember that. But anyway, here's the thing. She said, I owe you. Why? Because I had done a good deed to her. She turned around and said, I owe you. I owe you. Now listen to me. That's the way we operate And that's the way this world operates. But that's not how this operates. You see, what's interesting is, he says, I'm a debtor. And one is he hasn't even met these people that he's going to write this thing to. You see, that's an interesting thing to me that the Romans believers here that he's writing to in the lost of the city of Rome had done absolutely nothing for the Apostle Paul. And yet he said, I owe you. I'm a debtor. And let me tell you how he meant it and what he's talking about. Paul is a debtor to the Romans not because of what he had received from them, but for what he had for them. There's your difference. He had been given something. God gave it to him. And he says, I cannot keep this to myself. I owe it to everybody. So it's not for what people have done for you, and you don't have to ask, well what they do for me, then I ought to get down and share the gospel with them, that I ought to get up on a night and it's cold and rainy, and I ought to go across town and, and visit with them and sit down and share. what have they ever done for me? Maybe nothing. That's not the point. And that's not the debt he's talking about. He's not talking about because they did you a favor, you go do them a favor. He's talking about the fact if you have received the gospel of the grace of God and it has changed your life, you're a debtor to those people to go tell them the gospel of Christ. It's an interesting thing to me also that Paul's thoughts no doubt ran right along the lines of what Isaac Watts did in our songbook, page number 25. The song is at the cross. The fourth verse says, but drops of grief can ne'er repay the debt of love I owe. Here, Lord, I give myself away. Tis all that I can do. What did he mean by that? I'll tell you exactly what he meant by that. He meant that to, he surrendered fully to the Lord, to, use, to be used of the Lord, to carry out the gospel to a lost, thirsty, dying, hopeless world. And I say to you, Do you understand, my friend, if you have trusted Christ? If somebody shared the gospel with you, then you have a debt to pay. Look back at Romans chapter 1. In verse number 14, he says, I am a debtor both to the Greeks and to the barbarians. That's the uncultured. The Greeks were a very sophisticated group of people, and the barbarians were anybody but. Both to the wise and to the unwise. Understand this, that to the Jewish mind... There were only two kinds of people. There were the Jews and everybody else. And it came to the Greeks. There were only two kinds of people. There were the Greeks, and they always thought them the top of the line. And the barbarians, or the uncultured, as they're sometimes spoken of. But let me tell you, in God's mind, there are only two kinds of people. Saved and lost. As you sit here in this building this morning before God Almighty, you're either saved and on your way to heaven Or you are lost in God's mind and you're on your way to a devil's hell. And I say devil's hell because it's not designed for you and me. It was designed and prepared for the devil and his angels. God made a plan for people to go to heaven. And his plan was that he loved the world so much that he sent his only begotten son, the Lord Jesus Christ, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. If you have trusted Christ, if there's been a day in your life where you said, Lord, I know I'm a sinner and I know Christ came to this world to die for my sin. And right here, right now, I invite him into my life and I believe on him as the payment, the savior of my sin. I want to be saved. He'll save you. Simple as that. It was so simple that as a young boy, 11 years of age, I trusted Christ in our church. And my Sunday school teacher simply opened a Bible in front of me and read the verses, and I trusted Christ. I'm saying to you, God has obligated you and me to share the gospel of the grace of God, and he did it by saving us. The moment he saves a person, he obligates them to share the gospel with every level of society, every geographical location. And I tell you this, a verse of Scripture that I love, let me read it to you. It is found in Paul's writings to the church at Colossae. In Colossians chapter number 2, or excuse me, chapter 1, in verse number 26, Paul wrote this. In Colossians chapter number 1, verse 26, he says, "...even the mystery which hath been hid from ages and from generations, but now is made manifest to his saints..." to whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Verse 28, whom we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus, whereunto I also labor, striving according to his working, which worketh in me mightily. What he's talking about is a great truth, a mystery that was heretofore not understood. And he's saying that the Apostle Paul has been given the right to reveal it under inspiration of God. But what's interesting in here is verse number 28. He says, whom we preach warning, notice who? Every man. And teaching, notice who? Every man. And in all wisdom that we may present, who? Every man. Perfect or mature in Christ Jesus. I love that passage of Scripture because even though he's writing about believers, I'm saying to you that what he says is absolutely true about people who are not saved. The very fact that you showed up at the New Life Baptist Church this morning, if you have never believed on Christ as Savior, my personal feeling is it's by the good kindness of God of heaven that brought you here to hear a gospel message so that you could believe on the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior. I believe God so wants all men everywhere to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior that He works events and circumstances to bring people in touch with and across the path with a presentation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. If He brought you here this morning, then my friend it is up to you to understand that you are a sinner and that you need a Savior and that Christ is saying that's what the gospel message is. It's to tell you that Christ came into this world to save sinners and that He died on the cross, He was buried and He rose again the third day and is right this very moment seated alive at the right hand of the Father making intercession for those who do believe so if you do not know Christ as Savior and you don't believe on him as Savior he's still interested in you and for those of you who are trusting Christ and have done so in the past he's right there right now interceding for you and me he's working both sides of the camp to reach the lost with the gospel bring them to himself and then to be an intercessor for those who know Christ I'm saying to you my responsibility and yours is to warn all men everywhere And we do it not out of just when it's a passing whim of interest. We do it as an obligation to a debt. Should you not love the world? Oh, sure, in that sense. But I'm telling you this morning, even if you don't love Him, you say, Pastor, you mean if I don't have a right attitude, I should do it anyway? Yep. I don't see anywhere in the Bible it says, if you have a right attitude, obey this verse of Scripture. I don't see anywhere where it says, if you have a kind spirit, do it this way. I see everywhere it says, go into all the world, preach the gospel to every creature, every one of them, under every circumstance, on all the continents, in all nationalities, of every color of skin. You go tell them about Jesus Christ as Savior. Why? Because they're dying in their sin without a Savior. That's why. And the fact is that God in His Word has commanded us to go do it. And by the way, When you feel your indebtedness, the way Paul felt it, to share the gospel with classes of people, and the class of people, by the way, to whom you share it, will make no difference to you. When you come to the point of understanding your debt, the class or the group of people to whom you share the gospel will not bother you one way or the other. It could be the richest guy on your street And you, when you feel this debt, the way Paul writes of it here, when you feel this debt, the way it's written, you'll feel obligated to go tell this man of what Christ has done for him. Because listen, my friend, and a man said it this week who has a considerable amount of money, I believe. He said he and his wife were having a discussion and he said to her, she said, you you know why we don't have any more money than we do? He said, no. He said, she said, because you gave it all away. And he said, whatever I gave away is all that we'll ever see again. And he's absolutely right. You think about it. Every gizmo and gadget, including your car or my van that sits in the Fletcher Chrysler dealership, it has 23,000 miles under warranty, been there seven times. May God have mercy on Chrysler dealerships when I get down with these guys. And I'm saying to you, you say, these things, what about them? Well, you can can pay a million dollars for a car. But when you die, they'll park it. And it'll rust. And it'll rot. And it'll be in a metal heap somewhere. You say, "Well, oh, but I got this beautiful home. You can have the most beautiful home and termites leave that thing down. Or after a period of time, it may get blown down in a tornado. Or it may absolutely rot from the inside out. I'm saying to you, the only thing you'll ever see again is what you send ahead. And you do that through giving to people, working it into the lives of people. We do it here at the church by giving to missionaries around the world, by buying Bibles to give them to people so they can come to know the Father. And we do it in every way we can to establish Bible preaching churches. We do everything we can to give you some kind of reward that will be over there. Because everything you bought and paid for here, you're going to leave behind you. Everything. Not some of it. All of it. Every thread. Every piece of leather, every piece of metal, all of it stays behind. And all you'll see and all I'll see will be what I sent ahead by giving it to the Lord's work and to the cause of Christ and investing it in eternal things. We waste so much money, so many things in this country, on money on things in this country. We waste it. I mean, we abuse it you just think about it every time you hash out some money and spend it on something and it's not going to last very long you just think about it for $1.35 we can buy a New Testament and give it to a guy who's never seen one when you go buy that next piece of junk you just remember this for every $35 we can give 10 people a whole Bible in Europe 10 people who've never seen one in America we've been $35 for a Bible and more for a single Bible yet we can give these people a bible who've never seen and we can give 10 of them you see we waste it god wants to use it multiply it i'm saying to you that's a way too we are debtors oh we've been going we've been given so much more than we deserve this preacher has been given so much more than he deserves i don't deserve any of what i have but whatever i've got i have dedicated to the lord and for his glory and that's exactly how i want to be used listen to me you remember that guy by the name of Onesimus in Philemon that little book of the Bible that Paul was writing and he wrote to Philemon to tell him he said you know that slave of yours Onesimus that runaway slave when he came over to see me and Paul tells about this in verse 10 he says whom I have begotten in the faith that little word begotten means whom I have led to faith in Christ that's what he's talking about whom I gave spiritual birth to Paul says, I ran into Onesimus and and I shared the gospel with him and he trusted Christ as his Savior. He's a runaway slave. I mean, this guy has absolutely no rights. He's the scum of the earth as far as the people who lived during those days thought. He was an absolute nothing. And Paul ran into him. Do you think Paul said to him, say, look, you're not in my class. You're not up to my level of financial integrity and you don't run in the group I run with and you don't have the social standing I do. So I'm not going to share the gospel with you, Onesimus. Would you think the Apostle Paul would have done that? Never. Never. Whether it was the down and out or the up and out, the fact is he's out and he needs help, spiritual help. And Paul runs into Onesimus, Philemon chapter, or that one chapter, verse 10 says, and Paul said, whom I have begotten in the faith. Sweeter words that slave had never heard. And Paul writes to him about that whole story and scenario, how he has been taking care of him. And he'll do all he can to help him. Listen, that's not the only story. You remember when Paul was standing in King Agrippa's court and he began to share the story of what God had done in his heart and told how on the road to Damascus that day a bright light came and smote him and knocked him to the earth and he asked those two questions, Lord, who art thou? And Lord, what wilt thou have me do? And Paul tells the king this whole story and Festus is standing by there and he said, Man, you're crazy. You're mad. Much learning made you mad, made you crazy. And then Paul turns in. King Agrippa speaks and he says, Almost thou persuadest me to become a Christian. And Paul says, Oh, King, I wish it weren't just almost, but altogether you would trust Him. You, need to, you notice the difference here? Whether it be a runaway slave in Onesimus or whether it be in the king's court, the Apostle Paul was speaking up and saying, My friend, let me tell you something. Jesus Christ died on the cross. He died for our sins. The Bible proclaims and proclaims loudly, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And Paul's saying that Jesus Christ sent His Son to die on the cross for our sins. And He doesn't want you to try to pay for Him because you can't pay for Him. Christ already has. And Paul said, He saved me and He's changed my life. And I'm here to tell you that He can change your life too. And my point is, it doesn't matter whether it's the richest man on the face of the earth, in this case, King Agrippa, or whether it's a runaway slave in the case of Onesimus. Paul says, I am a debtor. I have an obligation, a moral obligation, to tell these people that Christ died for them. Now listen to me. For some people may say, I don't want to listen. That's okay. You see, it's not Paul's debtorship to make them do anything. He's just a debtor to tell them the truth. What they do with the truth, they'll have to answer for. My responsibility is not to make anybody a Christian. My job is to tell everybody they can be through Jesus Christ, their Savior. And that's what the New Life Baptist Church is all about. We're not out twisting arms and forcing anything on anybody. When I offer a track and I say, my friend, I have something I'd like for you to read. If they say I'm not interested, I say, thank you, sir, and go on my way. That's between them and God. That's not between me and them. My responsibility falls on this side. I'm a debtor to share the gospel. It'll be up to them what they do with it. By the way, before I finish this message, let me remind you of this very important thing. This business of being a debtor is not to pay back your salvation price. Don't ever get the idea that because I, I, I've been saved, I have to pay God back. And the way you do that is you share the gospel. That is not true. That is not true. The fact of the matter is there is nothing you can add to or take from the payment of your salvation. Period. It's been paid for completely. And what I'm doing and what I'm supposed to be doing is a debt of love. This is what Watson was talking about. This debt of love I owe. And it means to say that because it's changed my life so profoundly and made my life and my family's life what it is, I believe it'd be good for you and your life and your family, and I want to share it with you. And it's not because I'm going to get rich if I share it with you. In fact, the matter is it may cost me to share it, but I'm going to share it with you. That's what it's all about. It has nothing to do with earning or paying for salvation. I said this week as I prepared this message at my desk, and I think, and I thought this week, and I think often of this, of all the things and the people that I owe so much to. I thought this week as I was preparing this message how much I owe my father and mother. I thought of Dad in the many times that I raised a fuss about going to church. And my dad in his quiet way wasn't flustered at all. fact, of the matter, it was almost as if um, he were deaf that he didn't hear a word I said. He just went on with life and... Pick me up in the arm, put me in a car, shut my door, and we went to church, period, end of discussion. But you know, right now, in my heart of hearts, I am so grateful for that. My young rebellious heart, I don't know what I was thinking, and I don't know what I had in mind to do otherwise, because there really wouldn't have been anything to do in our neighborhood on Sunday, because everybody in our neighborhood went to church then. But I thank God for my father and my mother who kept before me a relationship with a local church, being there under the gospel preaching and the ministry of the Word. I am grateful and God knows my heart. I shall forever remain grateful to them. I'm also grateful for a little group of people in the Presbyterian church there in Tennessee in White County. A little group of people, most of them were elderly. There were not a lot of young couples in that church. It was a little elderly fellowship of people. My father and mother and our family probably was the youngest in the whole church. But I am forever grateful for that group of Presbyterian people who when they heard Bible preaching or what they hoped was Bible preaching turned into be things other than that and the preacher brought to the pulpit a literature book and began to preach prose and poetry. I am thankful that there was enough backbone in a group of little elderly people who stood up and said, this ain't the kind of preaching we're used to. We want you to open the Bible and, and preach what thus saith the Lord to us. And the preacher said, That's not what I'm about. I'm I'm beyond that. I'm over that. I'm I'm at another level. And they raised a fuss and were asked to leave. And I was there that day when we left. And that little group of elderly folk, there were thirteen people who stayed. There was about forty who walked out. And we never missed a beat. Those elderly folks said, we will rent a building and we'll be meeting next Sunday and named the location. Fountainhead School Building is where we met, an old school building. And those elderly folk kept meeting and kept standing and they kept searching until they found a Presbyterian preacher who would open a Bible and preach to them on Sunday mornings. And they got him there. And they paid him to come and preach to them on a Sunday morning. I grew up in that. And until finally the church decided, we, because of what the Presbyterians are doing and the way they're heading, we're going to get out of this and we're going to become an independent church. And they went to become a Bible church. And that same group of people stood stood by the stuff, didn't give ground, hung on to the fact he has to be a Bible preacher if he passes this church. And eventually that Bible church turned into Calvary baptist church which is an independent baptist church it's in that church that I cut my teeth in doctrine it was in that church where I had my first Sunday school class It's in that church where I stood and preached my first sermon It's in that church where my pastor ordained me and sent me out into the gospel ministry and to be a pastor myself I owe those people I owe those people how faithful they stood by the stuff, how they lived their Christian lives in such a way that a young boy could look at them and watch them and observe them and and something in them drove them to do what they did. And I'm indebted to my dear wife. Man, nobody in the world would know how rough life was for Judy and I when I first got out of school. When we were in school and going to school and lived right next door to McDonald's, some of those nights were nightmares. Living on mayonnaise sandwiches... No money to do anything else with, just enough to pay the school bill. I thought it was the end of the world. I do believe I would have quit. If Judy Kid not kept saying you can. It was harder than anything I ever dreamed. It was a simple heart, but it was hard. And I'm grateful that my wife didn't quit. I'm grateful also for my sons and their wives. They too have been more than I could ever express the gratitude of my heart for keeping me on my toes. They've been both the encouragement and the challenge to keep on keeping on when very honestly, it would have been easier to quit. I preach today because God's called me. I preach today because the New Life Baptist Church accepts me. But I also preach because there's another generation coming up that I want to be right. And the last breath from this dying body, I want to be sure that I have a part in keeping another generation on track for God. My grandchildren, I owe a debt. And I shall remain true to God's word for them as much as I remain true for my calling. And there's another group of people. The Many who sit in this auditorium this morning who through blood, sweat and tears stood by the stuff and started up this fellowship purchased this land and built these buildings and did what it took to establish a Bible-believing independent Baptist church on this piece of hallowed ground. Sitting here this morning, those charter members of this fellowship, I owe you. I owe you. And you'll never get your due from this community, to but this community owes you. They have a light on this hill that shines bright, unashamedly for the things that will change the lives of men, women, boys, and girls. They don't know what's in their presence. But God knows. And He keeps all the records clearly. And I owe the debt to all the people in membership of the New Life Baptist Church collectively. You may have just gotten on board in a recent time, but if, if you're a member of the New Life Baptist Church or a friend of this ministry, I owe you. I owe you for standing for the fellowship, for praying for it, for giving to it, and standing up for it when some of the folks might be down on it. I owe you. But let me tell you the greatest debt any of us owe in this room is to a lost world to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ that sets men, women, boys, and girls free from the bondage of sin. We owe that debt. I thought this week, and I I passed my burden of thought to you. I was sitting at my desk, and I was thinking, what if I work for the governor of the state of Indiana? And the governor turned to me one day after he was getting ready to leave, and he said, "Uh, Pastor Henry, I have a job for you to do. I want you to take this pardon, this letter of pardon. I have signed it, and I want you to take it over to the prison. There is a man there, and here is his name, and I want you to deliver this pardon to him personally. And let's say, let's reverse the role. Let's say you worked for him, and he gave you the letter, and you took the letter, letter and stuck it in your pocket, and you headed home for the weekend. On your way home, let's say... Someone in your family or neighbors calls you and said, Look, I need you to run an errand for me. And you take your cell phone, you answer the call, you accept the responsibility say, Yes, I can handle that. And you pick up those things that you were supposed to in the air and it's been run. You get home. As soon as you get home, it's still light. It's in the summertime. A friend or a neighbor calls and say, Hey, why don't we go play a few rounds of golf? Or why don't we go down to the mall? Or why don't we go somewhere? Why don't we go out to eat? Why don't we do something? And you said, "Sounds like a great ideal to me. And so you take the evening away. You get up the next morning and you realize that there are things around the house that you need to do and cleaning it or or repairing some things and you spend much of the day on Saturday cleaning and working around the house and, and doing some yard work or whatever you do. And let's say you went to bed that night, had a good night's rest. You get up the next morning, they throw a paper up against your front door and you go out and you pick up that paper, you open that thing up, you're sitting in your easy chair and you're looking at that paper and it jumps off the page at you that pardon that you folded and put it in your pocket it's in the paper that that guy was executed this morning and you held in your hands his only hope of freedom it's folded neatly it is signed by the governor but unfortunately it is still in your possession I thought about that And I think that's exactly a scenario what it is for us to have the gospel. And men all over the world are condemned under their sin. And yet we have a pardon. And what we need to do is at least give it to them. At least tell them that Jesus Christ came to die for you. He loved you enough to give His own life A ransom for yours. I repeat, whatever they do with it is their business. But my responsibility, my debt, is to tell them about Jesus Christ. One, do you know Christ is Savior this morning? If you died where you sit, do you know for sure you'd go to heaven? Two, do you feel in your heart of hearts, if you've trusted Christ as Savior, do you feel in your heart of hearts that you owe a debt? Three, if you as a believer believe you owe a debt, will you pay it? Will you pay it? Our Heavenly Father, thank you so very much for the gospel of the grace of God. Thank you for the salvation that we have in Christ. And thank you that someone took time, energy, and effort to open up the scriptures and share with us how we could go to heaven when we die. Give us an assurance in knowing that absolutely unequivocally it is appointed unto man once to die. But when we do as believers, we can go to heaven because you paid the price, you made the way. I pray this morning, and I pray fervently from the depths of my soul, help this preacher to pay his debt. Help me to share the gospel with every person I can. Help me not to be intimidated by the world's ideologies of there being so many different gods and so many different religions. Help me to get down to the business of understanding. There's one that has spoken. There is one that has acted. And there is one to which I'm going to answer. The true God of heaven, the creator of the universe. The God that loved this world enough that he sent his only begotten son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to die in our place. Oh, how I pray for us as believers that we would pay our debt. I pray this morning for a person who may be here who's never believed on Christ. Never been a time in their life where they said, Lord, I know I'm a sinner. I know Christ died for me on the cross. Please come into my heart and be my Savior. I pray this morning there may be people who will make that decision. And they'll do it right here, right now. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. We're going to sing in just a moment, but before we do as the instruments begin to play let me ask you a simple question if you're here this morning and you would say Pastor Henry I haven't trusted Christ to save you but I do know something I know that I'm not saved I know that if I die where I sit I would go to hell I know that I can tell you I do not want to die in that condition I believe in hell I believe in heaven I believe that people who trust Christ go to heaven I believe that but right here, right now, I'm telling you I'm scared. I've thought about this and I want to make a right decision. But I need your help. Let me ask you a question, my friend. If you're sitting here in this seat this morning and you're saying, I know I'm a sinner. I know I need the Savior. Then let me urge you to pray this prayer. Lord, I know I'm a sinner. I know that Jesus Christ died on the cross for my sin. Right here, right now. I ask you to come into my heart and be my Savior. Thank you for saving me. Amen. If you prayed that prayer and you say, Lord, I, uh, Pastor, I know that I prayed that prayer and I meant it with all of my heart. Then let me tell you this this morning on the authority of God's Word. If you were convinced of your sin and you believe in your heart that Christ is the only hope, and you meant with all your heart the words you spoke, then the Bible declares you to be saved. And if you say, Pastor, I've done that, then may I ask you a question? If you prayed that prayer and you meant it, would you lift your hand and say, I trusted Christ as Savior sitting here this morning. Pray for me that I'll grow in my faith. Would you do that? Just put it up so we can rejoice with you. Anyone like that? God bless you. Anyone else? You say, yes, I prayed that prayer. Please pray for me that I may grow in my faith. Anyone else? You say, as a believer here this morning, you say, Pastor, I heard the message and God spoke to my heart about my being in debt. God being my witness, I'm taking this to heart. I believe what Paul said and I believe that it ought to be true in my life. Please pray for me that I will make an attempt to pay my debt. Would you just raise your hand? Let me pray for you. God bless you. God bless you. And you, and you, and you. God bless you. Our Father in heaven, this morning, I pray that you'll help us pay our debts. I believe that it is a debt we owe. And I believe we'll make a thousand excuses not to pay it. And while we're making those thousand excuses, there'll be a thousand people who'll burn in a devil's hell that we could have helped. My neighbors. My friends, folks with whom I come in touch with, who I know by name but do not know well, Oh, Father, I pray you'll forgive us for our selfishness in holding on to something that gives life. I pray that you'll work in our hearts this morning and deal with us according to your mercy and grace. Thank you for speaking to my own heart about the urgency of this need. And may it continue. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're not going to sing this morning. I just would ask you that you return to be with us for the evening service and encourage you. That the Lord, use you now to share the message of the gospel with somebody. May the Lord bless you and keep you until we meet again. You're dismissed. <clears throat>